Hello everybody, this is Ricky Ruiz coming to you back with our third episode of our podcast. This week we feature Hua Gwen. Hua is running for David Dulles School Board and it's going to be in the ballot for all of those who live in the David Dulles School District this May 18, 2021. Just a reminder to all of you, if you have not registered to vote, the last day to register to vote for this election is April 27th. Uh, you should be getting your ballots mailed to your house starting April 28th. And the last day to return ballots through the mail is May 11th. And, of course, like always, uh, by 8 p.m. May 18th is the last day to return your ballots. Uh, please help us uh, spread the word. Uh, voting is very important. I hope you get to vote if you're able to. Enjoy the episode, everybody. for being here um and i'm super excited to have you all uh please uh who you know tell us who you are yeah thank you ricky for having me on your podcast and this is a treat to be able to talk with you i know you're busy um with everything that you have going on so this conversation is just really <laughs> nice to have with a person who gets it you know um yeah my <laughs> name is hua win i use she her pronouns and um i'm a second generation Vietnamese american right uh, and i'm running for the david douglas school board position three at large and, uh, you know, and being second generation, what that means for me is that I was the first in my family to be born in the United States. Um, and um, my parents were refugees from the Vietnam War, and they settled in New Orleans, Louisiana in the 70s, which is where I was born and raised. <clears throat> and um, I am the oldest of four children and have, uh, and I grew up in an ethnic enclave called Versailles, um, which is a small um Vietnamese community, you know, it's very diverse and it's located about 12 miles east of the French Quarter. Um, and most people are familiar with the French Quarter when you think about New Orleans. And so um, that's why I mentioned that. And um, growing up, my parents owned a neighborhood food mart. And that was where I spent most of my childhood, just going to school and helping my parents out of the store after school and helping my siblings with homework. So I was, you know, um, the oldest and I took on a lot of responsibility to really help my parents out. And um, part of that experience just made me feel like I missed out at that moment. You know, I was always complaining and felt like I wish I could go to after school clubs or go to soccer games or even spend time with friends. But my mom was, my parents were like, no, you have to help us out at the store. And so that was my life growing up. And, you know, um, and I was very fortunate to grow up in a neighborhood where my neighbor was my aunt across the street was my grandma, two blocks away was my cousin. So I, we really, value extended family um, in my house, um, in my home. And um, I have probably like 50 something first cousins. I can't even keep track. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, you know, um, and we're all like best friends. We're all like, you know, hang out with each other. We all grow up. And so, um, so it's been um, a really good experience growing up, um, just being able to be surrounded by family and we all help each other out. Like my parents were the only one that raised me. It was my cousins that babysat me. My grandparents lived with us. So we lived in what we call what they call now multi-generational households. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's where the foundation for my culture was really set. And so my grandparents were really big on 
us being connected to our culture. And so that's why in my part of my story, I share that, um, you know, our names, I have four siblings, my name is Hua, and I have three other siblings. Mm-hmm. So together, um, it's Hua Tuan Tao Yu, which uh, means, um, it describes the family, the traditional Vietnamese um, family values around like, you know, getting along with each other, respecting elders, um, you know, being um, affable and just being kind to one another. Um, and um, I wish I could say my siblings were like that. We kind of fight like cats and dogs. So. Oh, don't we all, don't we all. <laughs> so is that, like my name, my full Vietnamese name is Hien Hoa, which means I'm affable and kind in nature and I bring peace and kindness to the world. And the running joke, um, you know, in my family is that, you know, my grandparents gave me that name to um, compensate for my personality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I love that you were talking, you're talking about family, right? Of how, how, how loving and caring families are. And for you, especially growing up with, with, you say like, well, 50 cousins Mm -hmm. and nephews and nieces and, uh, but I, I wanted to touch base on, on your on your experience in the, growing up in, in school, like going to school. Like, what, what was that like? As, as a young Hua going to school, what was that like for you? So I grew up, um, I went to both public and private school. Um, I was born and raised in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and I um, uh, went to school in New Orleans. And it was very diverse. Um, and New Orleans is a very diverse city. And so I remember growing up learning Creole and French because that was required in school. Um, but when I was about in middle school, my family, so my dad owned a convenience store in New Orleans and it burnt down, unfortunately. And then Uh uh, we decided to move to a small town in Louisiana called Gonzales, which is like about a few miles east of Baton Rouge. And, um, and it was a, when I say small town, this was like very small. Um, And I attended a middle school where I apparently was like probably the second Asian students ever registered to attend that school. Uh, Yeah, it was, um, yeah, and I, that's where I started experiencing racial trauma, or at least I started recognizing it, right? I, I'm sure it happened when I was a kid or much earlier, but, you know, when, as a middle school student, you start recognizing these feelings and feelings of isolation and probably feeling not, you're like of feeling other, you know, that you don't quite belong. And so it's always an awkward time in middle school in general, but topped with, you know, not being sure of who you are and, you know, especially if you feel like you look different from everyone else around you. And so I re- had a really hard time in middle school. I went to public school in, um, in Gonzales. And um, I remember just walking to open house already and people just were staring at me like, oh my God, you're Asian, you know? And, and I just navigating that. And my mom, my parents didn't really know what to do. You know, it was in the nineties. So I grew up, I was a nineties kid. Um, and so part of that was, you know, um, there wasn't, I didn't feel like there was a lot of resources or at least racism wasn't really, recognized or there wasn't a lot of support for it so I remembered um, going every day just going to school I I just woke up every day and just feeling like you know just sighing because I have to deal with um, kids making fun of me or bullying me or you know also like the fear of them mispronouncing my name and being made fun of so there's just all that anxiety that was built up for a long time when I was a kid but um, the issue was that I didn't really have an outlet I didn't have anyone to talk to um, and I did share this um, on my website um, as part of my platform that um, there's a particular incident um, when I was in seventh grade on a school bus where um, there was a group of kids, you know, they were bullying me for quite some time. And I got into lots of fights because of it. You know, I got into arguments and, mm-hmm. you know, it just wasn't a really, you know, 
it wasn't the best of times for me, but um, I remember walking the bus and a group of kids, um, I sat down, they were laughing at me and they always made fun of my name. Um, and that's like a constant thing. I come on on the bus all the time. Um, and then one incident, they wrote a note that says, go back to your country. And they put it in my backpack and they were laughing. And so I, you know, didn't, I try not to cry. I was holding my tears in, you know, but I was clenching. I was like feeling tight. I remember that. I still remember to this day of how I felt physically and emotionally and what was going on in my head. Like it was very clear till this day. And so I just remember just trying to hold back tears as much as I could. And then uh, when I got off the bus, you know, I, you know, just feeling isolated, you know, and I, um, just try to make it through the day and try to ignore it and never address it. And so when I brought the note home to my mom, I told her, I don't want to go to school anymore. You know, like this is really hard. And when I gave her the note, she just looked at it and was like really hurt, but didn't know what to do. And I remember that look on my mom's face mm. when she got the note and saying like, what do we do? And so, you know, she said, can you bring it to the assistant? Can you bring it to the principal tomorrow? I said, I can try. And you know, she was busy. My parents are busy working, so they weren't able to really help me, you know. And so I decided to go in the office the next day and um, talk mm-hmm. to the principal about it. So I talked to the assistant principal. I'm being in the office with him and was trying to share it with him. And I didn't know how to articulate what was happening, but I just showed him. And I was like, this is what happened. These kids have been making fun of me. They've been bullying me. And another side note is that, you know, I wasn't really using my Vietnamese name a lot. They, I, was, I made up an American name <laughs> for people to use um, in middle school. Like Teresa. What, what Teresa. was your American name? <laughs> and the reason oh. I made it up is because I don't have an American name. So I grew up Catholic and it was my Catholic name. Okay. So like, you know, I was, in, I was given mm-hmm. St. Teresa or something. And so that I decided to use that. <laughs> and, uh, and I never really quite answered to it. So I was always confused, but I got used to Teresa and obviously it doesn't fit me right now. <laughs> I would never use <laughs> but uh, but he kept saying, "Hey Teresa," and I was confused. Like, "Wait, my name is Qua," and he's like, "Teresa." I was like, "Then that's," or I was like, "Okay, yeah, it is. My name is Teresa." And so it's you know that experience alone already really um, you know erasing my culture right then right there. And um, I shared with them the note, and they didn't really do anything about it, and they just kind of struck it off. Well, okay, well, who are the name of the kids? And I shared them the names, and you know we all talked. Um, he invited those students in to talk, but um, it didn't, nothing came out of it, unfortunately. And they still kept continuing to bully me. I got into lots of fights. I got suspended, you know, and so, um, you know, it didn't really, and really, you know, spent the rest of my middle school years um, just really with my head down and just really keeping to myself because I didn't want to cause any trouble um, and didn't feel like I felt isolated. And that's where I believe the um, growing up in two different cultures with immigrant, with the immigrant refugee experience is that you kind of feel like you live in two different worlds. Like I go to school and then I go home and it's like, it doesn't like it's two different worlds. And, uh, and that's right. where the code switching happens. And, and so at that age, it's like really hard to like navigate that at the same time, you know, having to help my parents out at the convenience store and then picking up, helping, um, you know, pick up my siblings from schools and watching them after school. And, um, during that time, we also lived um, in the convenience store as well. My parents, um, built a, a place for us to stay mm-hmm. behind the store because you know they were busy working all the time and that was the only way for us to for them to make sure that we were safe and that they could still work at the same time so you know um we didn't have the traditional like family home where like we sat down for dinner you know and you know we had our own bedrooms or anything so um you know i didn't comp- like you know it was nice that my parents built it up pretty well like we had our own beds bunk beds and there was a kitchen and the living room it was really nice but it was in the back of the store <laughs> And so that's what we did. Right. Like we, um, 
you know, the bus would drop us off at my parents' um, food mart. And then we would go back to the back of the store and do our homework and stay there and hang out and watch TV and, you know, play around the store and hang out and help our parents out at the same time. Wow. Um, well, thank you for sharing all of that. I think it's, I think people need to understand that not everybody has that mm -hmm. luxury, right, of coming home to a full full house with everything there. Uh, I, I mean, I, there's so many stories, and I and I and we hear it till this day. I think, and I'm sure you're hearing it too from from students. Is that uh, a lot, of, especially now with the pandemic, mm -hmm. with COVID nineteen, a lot of students miss going to school not because they miss. Uh, you know, the, the, what they're learning or what, what the education is coming up. They miss that they can go to school and feel safe and, and live this, this new, this different mm -hmm. life that they're living at home. Uh, you know, like getting a meal, uh, being able to, you know, wash your hands with warm water, being able to be uh, under a roof because many students don't get to go home. Right. Um, and, and it's just so sad to hear, all those stories and and how important it is for us to understand and realize that not all of us mm -hmm. go to a home that we that people think is uh, is is a safe mm -hmm. home, right? It, and I remember coming home sometimes, and our electricity will be out because my parents get on the floor to pay the electricity bill, or the mm -hmm. hot water was out. Or we had to we had to you know stay in one room because we got an infestation mm -hmm. of cockroaches again. So it's it's all those things you know we don't talk about as students. We don't talk about as kids. And the grow the older we get, the the, the more we realize like oh my goodness like that was mm -hmm. for yeah. us that was normal, yeah. but it's not normal, right? Like like it's 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 very unfortunate and. Yeah, you, you said it, you know, you, you nailed it. I think it's, there's two, you live two lives and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. And, but you were talking a little bit about your experience mm -hmm. as a seventh grader receiving that, that hate note um, of going back to your country. Um, and I, I resonate with that. Um, you know, I, I still, I still get those comments <laughs> uh, even till this day, but um has was that only a one-time experience or have you have you experienced more racism uh not only living in new orleans but yeah now and in it's um, interesting that um i shared that at the beginning of my campaign when i was you know trying to develop my story and you know um and most recently um went around the asian american pacific Islander hate that we're seeing that's coming out um you know this is that was the last time i received an actual hate note you know in terms of um, direct you know racial trauma i mean i've Throughout my life, I've, you know, um, dealt with biases and microaggressions in different capacities, um, you know, in my personal and professional life. Um, but um, most recently, I don't know if any, we've been keeping up with the news, but um, I just, I went public about a recent incident that happened to me during my candidacy. Um, I received a hate note um, about, about earlier this month, about last month, earlier in March, two weeks ago, um, it said Kung Flu. Um, a note was left at my doorstep. Um, on Friday morning, and I mm -hmm. made an official report um, on it and decided to speak out publicly on it. And just really, my experience with that was, mm -hmm. um, the, the key story was that when I first received the note, I wanted to brush it off as if like it was nothing, 
you know, it's just a note. I wasn't physically harmed. It's okay. Mm. I'll be fine. Um, and I realized when I got that note, that was what I was conditioned to do for my entire life when I was dealing with racial trauma. Like same thing with that note that I got. Right. Oh my goodness. Yep. Oh my goodness. It was like all the racial trauma started coming out and I was like, I need to stop doing this. We got to be, we got to do something different. And like we talk about if I am going to say that I'm against Asian American hate, I need to take responsibility and do something about this. And so, and I honestly, you know, me writing for um, David Douglas school board has really encouraged me to do that because as a leader, you have to set the example and you do have a sense of responsibility, you know? And so um, that's when um, I started sharing with my coworkers and those close to me about the note. And, you know, the mistake that we always make is to push through work, right? Like I got to get to work. I get through the day, but that's also harmful when we're not taking care of ourselves mentally. And when we experience bias and trauma, like that's not good for us to, hold it in and act like if it's nothing, if nothing's happening, you know, because um, I wasn't taking care of myself at that moment when I got the note. And, um, and so it wasn't until um, later in the day that I was encouraged by friends and coworkers to um, file a, a formal report. And, um, and I didn't know how to do it. I never had to file a bias group. Like, how do I do this? And so that was my first reaction. And so mm-hmm. I was provided some resources, but my first question that someone, one of my close friends had told me, you need to call the police. I'm like, I actually don't feel comfortable calling the police right now. That was a very real, mm. you know, mo- a moment at that time. Where I was like, this is why I feel right now, unfortunately. And so I um, did an official report yeah. with um, Portland United against hate first. And then um, I officially filed with the state um, on that day. I received the notes. I um, reported to the Oregon department of justice and they were very helpful. They um, mm-hmm. called me back. And a few days later, they called me back with some more resources. Um, and they connected me to Opano, which is you know a local um, Asian organization here in Southeast Portland. And they have a, um, you know, a staff there that really supports on um, hate crime, you know, and helping the community and stepping up when things like this happen. And they also um, encouraged me to do a formal mm-hmm. report with the Portland Police Bureau. And they walked me through that process. And and I was able to um, follow an official report, connect with a police officer and connect with a detective who specialized in bias hate crime. And um, unfortunately there was no evidence of the incident of how or when it happened, how or who might've done it. And that's generally the cases of bias crimes. And which is hard because then when you talk about it, people don't believe you or they, they think you're overreacting. And, you know, and so that's always been the response when I start sharing about bias crime. And so we're told to have thick skin and move forward with it, right? Whatever, you know, it happens all the time. But then the problem is that we normalize this behavior. Hmm. And so um, by reporting it, I felt like empowered, you know, to know that like I'm finally doing something about it for the first time. And so um, the police officer, when I spoke to him, you know, he, you know, pretty much stated that, you know, someone was at your house, you know, and they, knocked at your door and they made an effort to leave an offensive note. So yeah, that is, you know, a biased crime. Um, And so um, the best approach that Mm -hmm. he shared was that let's, it's all about documentation. And so part of it is, you know, over time when these things continue to happen, we can start developing connections. If it's like a common situation that happens in our area, or if it's a common theme, you know, um, in our neighborhood, or if someone else might be experiencing it, then we could build connections and that could help, you know, um, law enforcement to kind of um, look into it deeply if if it's something that needs to. So documentation is really important. Um, It raises awareness that the problem does exist, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that it 
started existing. I think there's been increased reporting, but doesn't mean that the bias hate crime against Asian American has, is, is new. It's been happening for a long time. And the narrative has been that we never talked about it. Like what I shared in about my middle school experience was that we never really were open about our experience when it comes to bias crime because we didn't mm-hmm. think to talk about it, you know, but as we, um, over time, you know, you realize you're holding all this trauma in and it's not good, you know, and so um, the best course of action that I public when I publicly share the message was really is to lean into your community, lean into your support and don't sit in silence and don't suffer in silence with it. And, um, and we have um, community people that can help you and resources and like counseling help, but as well as, um, you know, making an official report is really important too. No, th- I mean, and thank you for, for sharing all of that information. And you, you definitely, um, I, I agree with you, the fact, the fact that uh, we don't talk about this. Uh, and as a, I'm, I'm also a first-generation um, Mexican-American. And when my parents uh, were called names in the streets or, you know, being told racist, horrible things, uh, they didn't know any better than just to ignore it, right? And... And that's what I, that's what I was taught, you know, not officially from them, but just seeing, you know, mm-hmm. I remember going to grocery stores and, or waiting for public transportation and someone would make a comment about our color mm-hmm. of our skin or our height. Um, and my mom, and I remember my mom and my dad would just be mm-hmm. like, oh, just ignore them. It's all good. Don't worry about it. And which is, which is unfortunate because like, up until maybe like two years ago, I started standing up, you know, against all these hate comments and racism. And, and I'm very grateful that you went public with your experience that happened just one month ago. And I I think it will empower more folks, Mm -hmm. especially right now, to, to feel comfortable to reach for help, to feel comfortable to, to share their story. And for us to, for us to support those who are suffering from the trauma of racism in this country and in this state yeah, in specific. Um, yeah, and I think no about our students because I, I work in education. So part of um, my mm-hmm. connection to running for school board is that I, my experience of working with Portland Public Schools as well. And I think about our students and they go through harassment and biases, hate crime every day, I'm sure in and out of school, but we don't provide them the resources yeah. to address it. And that's, that was my experience in school. And so in that moment, I think about my students, you know, I think about the students I work with and the youth and really like, mm-hmm. um, this is not okay as adults. If we're not, if we're accepting it, then we're allowing students that we're telling students and our youth that it's okay. And so I just felt like we got, we have to mm-hmm. do something different because what we were doing before ignoring it wasn't helping at all. And, um, and by addressing it now, I hope that it Absolutely. doesn't become a bigger problem, right? We don't want to, let's say, like, lose lives in the process or, you know, become have it become what happened recently with in Atlanta, um, where it becomes a big issue like that. We don't want to wait till a mass shooting for us to start recognizing the problem. And um, the problem nope. has always, have always existed. It exists in our systems. It exists in schools, yep. um, exists um, in, in classrooms, you know, the way in you know, part of it is we have to examine ourselves and how we also contribute to bias too. And so um, I think it's a learning process, but the more we address it, the more we um, confront it, the more we have dialogue, like restorative justice is a big part of my value and the work that I do. 
um, dialogue is really important, you know, and really understanding the root causes of it and changing our behavior. So for example, I, as a woman of color, you know, I, I'm also not, uh, I could be guilty of biases too. So I think we all have some form of bias and how we contribute it to ourselves. And also we have it internally in our communities that we need to address too. So it's very complex. And so I think that um, by addressing it helps start the right. conversation and dialogue, you know, and, um, you know, and really developing, you know, and really addressing stereotypes than, you know, what, what, what our attitudes are about certain groups of people and how we see people. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, I, I, and I, I, I know my privilege as a male and as a person of color as well, right? Like I, I, I try to check those privileges when I can almost every day because I, I, I know I've had it difficult, but there's more people uh, who've had it more difficult than I have. And, but I, I, but you're absolutely right. I think starting the conversation and sharing our stories and being able to, to, to okay. fight for racial justice for, to fight for what's right. Right. It's something that we need to continue to do. And uh, we don't have to wait until uh, a mass shooting happens or someone from the, you know, BIPOC community gets hurt over uh, a racial slur, right? Like, like all these things can get prevented, and all these things can be can be worked on without us having yeah. to wait for something horrible to happen. And yeah, and and you and this is a perfect segue. I'm excited that you are running for school board in the David Douglas School District. Uh, what what led you to want to run for state uh, that school district that, that school board position? And maybe also if you want to share with us um, kind of what you hope you can bring into that. Yeah, into I, um, and like to that? be honest, like, like if you asked me four years ago about school board, I would honestly, I had no idea what a school board was. Even though I've worked in education for over 10 years, my experience with school board has always been very traumatic. Like, mm -hmm. I think of school boards as this formal process and it's only a bunch of retired people that can on the board they make all these decisions and I, my experience with school boards as an educator um, has always been like I'm always trying to testify something or try to get a group of students and parents together to talk in front of the board that's been my experience on the community level you know in terms of school boards and so I was just tired of doing the same thing every year when I was the Sun School coordinator I remember we had to um, you know testify in front of City Hall as well as as um, yeah in front of the Portland Hope School Board to talk about sun programming and because they were at risk of being cut. And, you know, Sun Community School is a big partner in public education, especially in David Douglas in this county. And so, um, and they provide after school programming. And so that was, I would say about eight years ago when that when I was doing that. But um, but over the years I just got tired of being unheard. And um, and I was planted the seed. Um, by a few people that I knew that started running like Kathy Way, North Clackamas and Helen know for MESD. Those, those are people that I've mm -hmm. grown up knowing and have worked with in the community in terms of Asian American um, Pacific Islander community. And so um, I was really inspired because I realized like, oh, this can, oh, people like us can run. Cause I really just thought that retired people could only serve on the board. Um, um, at least that's what it looked like to me. <laughs> and, um, and I was really inspired just right. seeing other women of color stepping up to the plate and um, and really shifting the board in so many ways, you know. And um, and so that really sparked that interest in me. And I thought about like, what would I do if I was on a school board, or like, what would it look like if I was to join a school board? And 
it was um, a long process. So I would say about two years ago, I made the decision. I know it's two years ago, it took a while ago, but I uh, connected with Jillian. I decided um, someone shared with me an application for Emerge Oregon. Mm-hmm. And so I actually was going Emerge through the process. Oregon. I, love I looked wow. at the questions. I was intimidated by the questions. I didn't know how to answer them. And I'm just being very transparent because I think we all go through this. Um, um, and I was scared to apply. And then Jillian really, I would say Jillian showed me really sparked that seed in me. Like I was inspired, but she really sparked. She really pushed me. And she said, you know, um, just go ahead and apply. And I did. I sought out, um, you know, um, um, I sought out campaign school, Emerge Oregon. And then I made an effort to connect with, um, you know, people on the board and really started studying school boards and really make an effort to really see myself and what I thought about what my values were around education, especially on a policy level. And so, um, you know, the last two years, I spent some time doing that and really building um, relationships with Andrea and Anna, who were um, uh, connected to the Dave Douglas School Board, mm-hmm. and really getting to know my community um, um, around me better. And so um, the decision was a long time. And it wasn't like I woke up one day and decided to run for a school board, but it was a long time for me to really decide if how it fit in my life. And it was something that I really wanted to do. And so um, this year was the perfect timing for me to step up. And especially given with the pandemic happening, I really realized like how fragile our education system is. And um, and uh, my professional work, um, I am a school attendance right. coach for Portland Public Schools. And I've been doing uh, work around chronic absenteeism for the last six years. Mm-hmm. And it really dives into data around, um, you know, um, kids who are just not coming to school. And what most people don't know is that Oregon ranks number three in the nation with one of the highest absent rates. Um, and uh, there's lots of factors and it's connected to um, homelessness, mm-hmm. poverty, uh, mental health, and discipline, um, suspension rates and, dis- um, and dis- um, disproportionate discipline across the district. And predominantly in that data, it compromises of um, black and brown students, so underserved students um, in the district. So I work um, with 30 schools across Southeast and Northeast Portland um, and um, K through eighth, and um, have built so many relationships over the years in education. And so um, this really was a community effort. Um, it was years and years of community work and education and youth work and um, and really making like I was ready, you know, just to make some shifts and changes. And um, and David Douglas is a neighboring mm-hmm. district, and so I felt like I could combine my professional and direct experience with students and families and my personal experience, you know, as immigrant and refugee, um, you know, woman of color and, you know, hoping to bring that, that perspective to a school board. And so um, oftentimes people sit on school boards, you know, they have a lot of different experiences, right? But very rare that someone who works directly in a school system can sit on a board. And so I was very lucky that was able to happen, you know, being able to work for Portland Public Schools, but living in the David Douglas School District, I was able to, you know, um, qualify for a seat in David Douglas. No, thank you for the work that you do in Portland Public. I did not know that about you. And it's very important work. And I think uh, you will see, I sit on the school board and I've been sitting in the Reynolds Mm -hmm. School Board for it's it's crazy to say almost like over four years now and mm-hmm. um how fast-paced the policy work can be but the fact that we get the, the the possibility and availability to 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 be in those positions and be able to create policy that best serves our students is something that is priceless and 
I, I really hope you get that experience and uh, really hope that that you you continue the great work that uh, like the Sahar and Andrea and all those all those great school board members in the David Douglas School District have mm. have been doing. And to be honest with you, be transparent with you, I've been yeah. seeing their policies. I'm like, oh, we can do this at Reynolds too, right? We you know, and Gresham can do mm-hmm. this too, and Glassstone School Board can do it too. So it's um, and it's 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 a it's a very great school board to be part of and. Uh, very excited that you've decided to to run and and you're right you know similar to you it's not like I woke up one day and I was like okay I'm doing it today <laughs> it doesn't work that way uh, there's a lot of sacrifices that I'm sure you are going to have to do uh, in order to make this work yeah. and I'm sure you're doing right now running a campaign and uh, but tell us like um, if we want to volunteer or we want to uh, learn more about your campaign uh, learn more about yeah. Your uh, my website is uh, www quad number four pdx dot com. So quad for pdx number four dot um, com, and um, yeah, that's where you can find a lot of information about my platform. Um, you know, um, and also there's a link to sign up to join my campaign. So we are in the process right now because we're like six to seven weeks out before election day, uh, which is on May 18th. Um, we um, are gearing up for getting out the votes. And so we definitely need mm-hmm. volunteers to hit the ground running and um, really making sure I get elected and win, you know, and I've been working really hard, you know, and it's been a tough balance between working full time, especially when we're in the middle of a pandemic. And this week we are in the process of um, transitioning into hybrid yeah. learning as well. And so uh, it's just a tough balance between campaigning and work and then everything else, you know, that goes on and, personal life and so um it's definitely a work in progress every day um but yeah i would love volunteers to do lit drop phone banking text banking um and i have a group of great volunteers who had stepped up to really help me and so um you know just kind of setting those up so um but definitely sign up and uh, we keep it posted but also you can follow me on social media i'll be posting up some updates on my facebook page as well as instagram and so we'll give some directions on how to sign up there as well. And um, and so, yeah, social media is also a great way to keep in touch um, with me as well so that we can get the information out there for uh, my campaign. Um, but I'm excited. Yeah, I've met so many new friends along the campaign trail. It's been Absolutely. an amazing experience. Um, and I'm just excited for what this journey will bring. And already, like, you know, um, you know what I shared about what my recent racial incident um, with the hate note that was left at my doorstep, it also brings up the conversation around candidate safety, right? And elected official safety and um, how people of color and, um, right. you know, black indigenous um, BIPOC candidates, you know, and women of color, you know, are prone to um, targeted attacks both online and in person, you know? And so um, it is very real. I know that that was something that was mm-hmm. also one piece to consider when running for a public office with safety and especially you have a family and you know people are close to you, they also are involved with that as well. And so um, it's a decision that we don't take lightly. And um, it also brings up that conversation around safety, you know, because um, we are out there in public, we live in the community that we serve and we attend, you know, uh, public events and, you know, we're out there in our community every day. Um, and, and it's one of those things where like, you want to also be able to safely serve our community yeah 
And what are your, what's your social media handles? Where can we follow you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? Yeah, mainly. I, I don't even know. I know. I all of them, but uh, my now, main but... <laughs> social media platforms are Facebook, um, <laughs> Instagram, and Twitter, and it's um, at Hua Number Four PDX. So Hua for PDX. Hua for PDX. All right. Well, um, is there anything else you would like to share? Uh, I think you know. The, the election is coming up very quick and it's crazy. We're less than two months away uh, from election day. Uh, you know, I think, I think my question is why, why should David Douglas residents? Well, David Douglas is one of the most ethnically diverse um, school districts in Multnomah County. And when I was looking at, I'm a data driven person. So um, given the nature of my work that I do around absenteeism, um, I always like to look at data and it's really important because it's a guiding piece. But um, from when I looked at the data, um, so David Douglas serves around 10,000 students and 14, 15% of those students identify as Asian Pacific Islander. Mm. And if elected, I will be the first Asian Vietnamese American woman to serve um, on the school board. And so representation is that it's the biggest piece. And especially given the climate that we're in right now, we think it's um, we need more Asian American representation and leadership. And so um, that's also the biggest, you know, that's one of you know, my priorities, but as well as to center immigrant and refugee experiences, because we, in David Douglas, we have a lot of families who are multi-generational, who have been have, um, heavily impacted by COVID, but with a lot of essential workers and um, really leading with um, income level when it comes to policy work and the decisions that we make for our school district. And the experience that I have um, since, work, since I work for Portland Public Schools, you know, I really have committed to really um, helping families, um, you know, um, pivot through the pandemic, you know, and support it, um, school leaders and teachers and really have that direct experience of um, really serving students and families in during the pandemic, during comprehensive distant learning and during, um, and right now as we move into hybrid learning. So it hasn't been easy this past year. And so, um, and just understanding that, hey, our, our um, you know, school boards need people with direct, ex diverse direct experience in schools. And I hope to bring that to the board and you know, I am ready to serve. I'm ready to learn um, and really um, build community. Wow. Well, if I were David Douglas, the word, uh, you know, voter, and, uh, I knew who also, I would vote. You know, one of my goals so, also, uh, you know, there is a trend when it, when <laughs> um, BIPOC candidates run for uh, public office, we tend to outreach to new voters. And part of, you know, um, my Vietnamese community is really excited about my campaign, so I'm hoping mm -hmm. to reach out to a more um, diverse voters and increase um, voter turnout, hopefully, because generally, you know, uh, school board elections, the special district elections have very low uh, voter turnout. It's at usually around 20%. And so I think really also, you know, getting people excited about school board elections yeah. and why it's important, you know, even if you don't have kids that go to the school district um, or if you may not send your kids to this, this to public school, but really how important it is to really be involved in the voting process for um, school district because it really impacts, you know, um, the youth and the people in the neighborhood. And so really want to educate, you know, the everyday voter about school boards and what it means and what special district um, election really means, um, you know, for our neighborhoods. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, that those elections are, as, if anything, more important than any other elections. I think school boards are, uh, and school board directors uh, mm -hmm. play a huge impact in local policy, right? And, and I think mm -hmm. parents, non-parents, soon-to-be parents, even like students that are able to vote, 
this is this is uh, in my opinion, and it might be biased because I'm also a school board member. But I true I truly exactly. do believe that school board races are perhaps one of the most important mm-hmm. elections that that many of us don't know about, right? And uh, and it's our job uh, to educate our communities. Our job to make sure that. Uh, we, we, we let people know why school board is an important, mm-hmm. uh, an important role and why you should vote for the right people, uh, especially in a diverse uh, school district like David Douglas. But Hua, thank you so much for, for taking the time. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best this election. Uh, please uh, you know, let us know how we can be helpful and um, and I wish you nothing but the best. And hopefully, absolutely. We'll Thank you so much, Ricky, um, for having me and creating the space for us to share our stories and our narratives. And any words of wisdom from you, from a seasoned school board member, I will take it. So. <laughs> no, I, I just have. You know, I think if if I can tell you anything, I think it would be like there's there's no. There's not, nothing, nothing better than, than creating policy in your school district that benefits those who need it the most. And I think students will definitely let you know what's working, what's not working. And, and, and there's nothing better. There's nothing better than, than knowing that you worked on a policy and where it changed a student's life. And, and having that student thank you for that and letting them, you know, them letting you know that thanks to you, uh, they were able to graduate. That is perhaps well, the excited. ultimate paycheck that a school board member can get to this day. So, I think, yeah, yeah, and it's it's an it's amazing work. I'm excited for you, and you know, um, I wish you I wish you best of luck, and I and I think you I think you you'll be an amazing school board Thank member. Thank you so much.